Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, and welcome to episode 92 of The Science of Motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have a fantastic guest today. We are focusing on maternal mental health, which I think is such an important, important topic. But before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to make everyone aware of an amazing resource that we share on our website, which includes resources around mental health for mamas and their families. And that is our quickie guide. So if you jump over to our website, ifillyourcup.com and you have a look in the top banner, it says grab our go-to postpartum planning guide. And this quickie guide is something that Oh man, it stemmed from everyone kept asking me, hey, I've downloaded my hospital bag checklist, you know, off the internet. Do you, <laughs> is there anything for helping me to prepare for what happens after the hospital or your home birth or whatever that looks like for you? And I thought, oh, there's some great books out there, but nothing like really quick and fast, which is where the quickie guide comes from. It's a free resource because I feel like education and knowledge is power. And so I put together this resource and it essentially springboards you into different topics around keeping your sanity when you're having a shitty day, how to transition your toddlers with the new arrival of this new baby, um, how to prepare for a successful feeding journey. And of course, because food is my love language, we have got a ton of recipes in there for you to start filling your freezer and your fridge in preparation for the arrival of your baby. Because if anyone has listened to this podcast before, (laughs) you will know that I am all about prepping like a doomsdayer when it comes to the arrival of your baby. If you have enough food in your house to last you two weeks without leaving, you are on good track. (laughs) So if you want to jump over to our website, ifillyourcup.com, and just have a look at our freebie section. You can grab your um, quickie guide there, just download it, and you will have it in your email inbox quicker than you can say Jimmy Cricket. <laughs> so today's guest is Dr. Erin Bow. Um, she is a clinical psychologist. Um, She specializes in perinatal um, area. She is also a course creator and business mentor, and she's the author of More Than a Healthy Baby, Finding Strength and Growth After Birth Trauma and Social Media Detox for Mums, A New Way to Find Balance. Interestingly, you will not find Erin on social media at all, which I find truly fascinating and I absolutely love this. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about a phenomenon called EMDR. And this is, I guess, an option for those who have experienced birth trauma. It's also an option for people who want to utilize it for post-traumatic growth. And, you know, for parents who can't afford or aren't ready for therapy. And so Erin walks us through this amazing kind of treatment. We look at obviously what it is, how does it work, who can access it, and things like, you know, are there times where maybe we shouldn't use it or is it best used in conjunction with other forms of therapy and and counselling? I found this truly insightful. I knew nothing about EMDR walking into this episode and it's it's really quite fascinating from a science perspective and also from the results that, um, that psychologists are seeing. So without further ado, here is Dr. Erin Bauer. 
Hello and welcome to the podcast, Erin Bow. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, we have just been talking offline about the fact that you used to be where I am and I used to be where you are. Mm. <laughs> You're now in Victoria. I'm now in Tassie. Listeners would have heard from the introduction that you are a clinical and perinatal psychologist and today we are going to talk about something called EMDR. And I also mm-hmm. prefaced offline that I know very little about this, but I'm very curious because I think from my desktop research, this is something that people can implement very easily at home. And something that you highlighted to me when you first got in contact was the fact that Medicare sessions are being reduced from 20 to 10 sessions. Is that for mental health? Yeah, so it's gone up and down a lot. Back in the olden days, I started with 24. So 24 is about this kind of rough gold standard for something like cognitive behaviour therapy. Yeah. Then it went down to about 12. It's gone round and round. We sort of settled in on 10, which is nothing. Once I started training psychologists, it's like I've got 10 sessions to teach you how to do trauma. I don't know how to do that. Then with COVID, they gave us another 20. So that was, you know, reasonable. Now we're back down to 10. So I guess for me, I think oh, it's important for people to know about this. You've got your gold standard. This is kind of what you're supposed to work with according to the research. This is what we actually get. <laughs> oh, man. You know? Um, so I don't know. I just think with those sessions being reduced, it kind of every day is occurring to me that there's not enough information for people about, well, what can you do? What's accessible? Like what's manageable but also what's research evidence-based? So Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone listening who has engaged in, you know, a psychologist kind of care and plan, you will attest to the fact that maybe on the surface people go, oh, 10 sessions, that's a lot. Like if you go, if you compared it to like a physio, you know, oh, 10 sessions, yeah, my ankle will be right in 10 sessions, of course. But like psychology, you need a lot of work. And sometimes I found in particular you would kind of take two steps forward and then five steps back because you kind of have to go back and retrain your mind and process things and maybe you have to double down on one particular thing for like multiple sessions before yeah, you can you just find. never know. You never know. Yeah. It's, it, for me, it's often those days when someone comes along like, I think I've got anything to talk about today. I nearly cancelled the session. Like, boom, watch this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I had so many of those. I had so many of those. I remember because I would, um, I would have to catch the train after work to my psychologist and I remember the whole way, like on the train, walking there going, I really feel like I'm like in a good space and I just don't know what we're going to talk about today. And then by the time <laughs> I walked out, I would text my husband and he'd be like, how, how did you go? And I'd be like, I'm not cooking dinner tonight. Oh. Like I don't even have the energy. Like I'm like, where's the train station? Like I was, yeah. I, I was cooked. I was so cooked, but in a great way as well. So, okay. First of all, let's dive into who you are. Like, let's get your street cred on record before we dive into this EMDR. Who are you, Erin? And <laughs> who are you, and what are you about? <laughs> and why should anyone pay attention to you? Yeah, yes. That- Yes, oh, so that's reminding me of business coaching. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, well, I'm a mum of two. That's probably, like, where this starts. I did perinatal psych before I had children, but when I had children, that was really where I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going now. So yeah. I trained as a clinical psych, always had a perinatal interest that, you know, things I thought I knew, I sort of knew about until I had my own kids. That's mm. often the way. Trauma, birth trauma was not something I ever, I suppose nobody ever considers this is going to happen to them. No. Happened to me twice. So from that, and this is with, you know, like very nerdy researching. I did hypnobirthing. I had a doula. I did all the things, right? Did all the things that I thought were humanly possible to do mm. to prepare for this amazing wonderful birth which in some ways was amazing and wonderful but in lots of ways it wasn't so Mm. that kind of took me down a path of like the second time it happened I just 
found myself going, well, where is the information? Yeah. Right? So me as a sort of mental health professional who's supposed to kind of know something, knew a bit, but there wasn't a lot of information back then. And I kind of went, well, I've got some things I could probably say about that from research and my own experience. And from that came few books and courses and birth trauma training for birth work. It's like all sorts of things that just had to come out of me. So mm. that's sort of where it went. And like, oh, I just opened my mouth and had so much to say. So, yeah. <laughs> so there you uh, go. I wonder, I, and this is something that I always ask guests who kind of already in that mother care and, as you say, perinatal space, what was it? when you were actually experiencing it for yourself, you know, being a mother, going through that birth trauma, things like that, what were the things that you leaned on? Or were you having, were you similar to me, where you were having moments of like, what the actual heck? <laughs> That's My daughter says that. She goes, what the heck? <laughs> what the heck, mum? And I'm just like, yeah, what the heck? Because I... I, I'm a researcher at heart, but I was also like, why did I not research about what happened after a baby arrives? Mm. How were you feeling? Did you, because I think that, and this is just my theory, I think people who work in the profession that we do, you know, doctors, nurses, people, and I'm doing air quotes, people who should know <laughs> when they, when they get to the stages of birth and motherhood, I feel like in some instances there's this guilt and shame that mm. happens because they because the conversations I've had with myself and others is I should have known better. Mm. I should have known. I should have researched. How mm. did you feel about that experience? I think like... The analogy that's coming to mind, which kind of fits because it kind of fits with how my brain thinks about trauma, it's like there's an accelerator and there's a brake and you mm -hmm. sort of don't, there's no middle ground, right? So the accelerator was either on with like Google the things, do the research, no, I've got this tool, I've got that tool, I've got that tool, but then you put the brake on and it's exactly like you say, you're alone in your house. Mm. Um, for me, it was there were certain things that were easier than others. For me, like, Trying to get help with breastfeeding was just like, there's no way. I think my husband rang like two lactation consultants. It was around about Christmas. They were both busy. And I was like, well, that's it. Done, finished. I'm like, I'm unhelpable, done. You know, my sister-in-law tried to help me. I ignored about six of their text messages and eventually just said, look, I can't explain it, but I yep. just can't talk to you. Like, yep. I'm so, like, and we can find that weird now, shame. At the time, it didn't necessarily logically register as shame. Yeah, yeah. It just registered as, like, I just I just want to hide and figure this out for myself because that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do, right? Yeah. For some weird, weird reason. <laughs> so it was either the yeah. accelerator or the brake. I'm either on doing all the things, being like, right, I've got this tool I can cope, I've got this information, which sometimes... The shame of that can also be the privilege, like, yeah. oh, I had this training. I had a doula. Not everybody's got access to that. I've got access to people. Why do I still feel so awful? Because I probably shouldn't, right? I've got all these mm. things at my disposal. I should mm. be fine. Yes. Yeah. That's such a good point. I've never actually stopped to think about that, the fact that, yeah, we have that privilege Maybe that's what I was feeling as well because I my feeding journey was quite, it was, you know, in those first few days you're like, holy crap, trying to navigate everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember my husband saying to me, he was clearly texting all his friends going, Renee's having trouble. Like these are all, you know, people who've had kids and who's, who have breastfed. Renee's having trouble. What can we do? Blah, blah, blah. And he, he, I just remember always, he's just like, so-and-so said you should try this. So-and-so mm -hmm. said, and I was like, if you message one more person about my body and how it can't do this oh. and feed our child, I'm going to smash that phone over your head, yeah. you know? And I was, and it is, it's that classic, like, I felt like I, you know, went to the breastfeeding class. I had kind of, I think I just told myself it will come naturally, but as we all know, it's a natural process. 
but it doesn't come naturally at all. Mm -hmm. And it is incredibly difficult sometimes to fit the two pieces together, you and your baby, and that's okay. We all know that now in hindsight, don't we? Oh, in hindsight, we can sit here and have this conversation, like not a solving mess. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) We can have a little chuckle about it. But how we've evolved. I know. There's hope. hope. (laughs) There is hope. Okay, but let's, all right then. So let's talk about these tools in the toolkit. One of those things is EMDR. First of all, what the hell does EMDR stand for and what is it? <laughs> yeah, they should probably change it. So it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, which okay. nobody can ever remember. We also know now it's not uh, actually the eye movements necessarily that's the most important part. They used to think that. So it's been around since the 80s, right? Okay. It didn't come to a lot of attention here because I think um, Australia's pretty conservative with how we approach healthcare in general and mental health and so I think it took a little while for people to be like what do you mean you like wave your fingers back and forth and that helps with trauma so that's probably like the thing that people if they've had any access to it that's probably a bit of what they've seen right you just do this magic thing I'm waving my fingers back and forth in a horizontal fashion and that's you know supposed to help so it took a while. Also, it wasn't available through Medicare. So I think a lot of it, I know for me at least as a psychologist, I've heard of it, sounded very interesting, but if it's not something I'm actually going to be able to offer on the schedule, so to speak, mm. I'm probably not going to like get too excited about it. Um, it's also not something that you're taught at uni, so it's an extra qualification okay. that you then have to go and get after six plus, in my case it was like more like 12 years of already studying. So you're mm. kind of like... I really want to do this but with time more reading I guess I kind of started to see well it was a treatment I suppose it was developed specifically for trauma okay war veterans who were coming back and not able to talk about what happened and we know that it is a huge component of trauma right yeah therapy is great but for a lot of people if they could talk about it like they would be able to get themselves through it not being able to articulate what happened is a huge part of it. Um, yeah. And so many people have that experience of going, it just all happened so fast, particularly in birth, those stories of like I was wheeled away, the next thing I knew, I didn't know what was happening. So there's not the like narrative to go over it. So I suppose, I don't know if that's helpful to think about it this way, but with something mm-hmm. like cognitive behaviour therapy, you're going into the detail a lot, a story with a beginning, a middle and an end you're looking for what we kind of call hot spots, like tricky bits that haven't been fully processed yet. Yeah. And then we work on that and there's a lot of desensitisation that way. But it's pretty taxing, right, mm. to go in again and again and again and just when you think you've done it enough, your therapist will go, no, nope, let's go through the story yeah. again. <laughs> right? So it's something that a lot of people don't like. It's also like trauma therapy has a pretty high dropout rate. It's something right. that's not talked about nearly often enough that it takes you know as you're saying the two steps forward five steps back this has gotten too hard it's uncomfortable I don't want to do it anymore see you later Mm. I'm used to getting ghosted it's just you know part and parcel of sort of work (laughs) so with this one with EMDR it's now available on the Medicare which is good on the Medicare god I sound ancient Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't when I was training. It wasn't even a thing. So it's not new and shiny. It's just getting more attention. And even with the birth trauma studies that have just sort of really only last few years started to come out as a potential for is something that you can do that is bloody hard work. I've got to tell you, it's not for the faint-hearted, but it's potentially quicker. It's potentially not as many sessions. It's potentially not even necessarily needing to go into the story. So you can work with it as they call content free is in you know what happened to you I don't necessarily need to know exactly what happened to you you just hold the image in mind so there's the content there's the emotions there's the meaning kind of what did your brain make it mean and we use what's called bilateral stimulation so sometimes that means moving your eyes back and forth sometimes it means listening to different tones don't know why I'm kidding I'm using my hands because no one's going to be able to see I'll just over gesticulate. It's hard to talk about this without moving your hands. Though. Yeah, of course. Maybe that's why I like it. It's the like people <laughs> to do something. <laughs> I love it. But uh, yeah, so the basic premise is similar to if you've ever had 
like a problem that you're worried about, something you're thinking about, and you go to bed and Mm -hmm. you sort of, you know, people say like you sleep on it. We think that rapid eye movements from dreaming in the night help you process. So it's kind of based on that premise. Oh, okay. Kind of makes sense now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, so let me just get this straight. So you're sitting because uh, I'm a visual person, you're mm. sitting there and then who is moving the fingers back and forth, almost like a pendulum that you're watching, right? It could be. So there's different ways to do it. There's like so many different options now. The traditional way is that a therapist will hold up their hand in front of like your face from, you know, whatever's a comfortable distance. There's a lot of yep. setup, right? So you've got to make sure what's your particular eye span. Yeah, typically it's a left to right, back and forth, wave of the hands, but now you can also put headphones on, use audio cues. Some people prefer that. There's lights. There's all sorts of amazing things you can download for your computer with your follow dots. Uh, you can also do a technique called the butterfly hug where you tap each side of your body. So it's more the bilateral stimulation, so left brain, right brain kind of stuff. So I guess my next question is, okay, so you're sitting there, you've got the visualisation or you've got the audio or the lights or whatever it is. What, what is actually being asked of the person just mm-hmm. to hold that thought? Do they have to, ver- they obviously don't have to verbalise anything? Mm. So it's a whole, it's a whole process. Like it's a very manualized kind of therapy. It's quite different to traditional therapy in that you'll have a few sessions of getting like some background, doing some assessments, that kind of stuff, um, hopefully getting to like, actually like your therapist trust them Mm. that's pretty important it's not going to work if this is someone that you don't gel with and I I have heard those stories actually from clients as well they're like you know I did train many sessions of this and I'm like what happened like oh I kind of just went along with it because you know (laughs) the people pleasing thing that's probably a whole other episode yes but yes (laughs) uh, once you're into it it's really much like as a therapist I sit back out of the way so you bring up a component whatever the memory is, rate it, sit and just like watch the scenery go past, so to speak. So there's not a whole lot to do. It's really just trusting that if you bring up and can sit and tolerate negative emotion for, you know, we're talking like 30 seconds to a minute at a time, Mm -hmm. your brain will do work to process it through that bilateral stimulation. So it works on the assumption, I suppose that's helpful to know as well, that your memory network has negative memories. It also Mm -hmm. has positive memories. And so what you're trying to do is bolster with getting your brain to access the positive network through existing memories that you already have, Mm -hmm. which will help, I suppose, against the, usually with trauma, there's the assumption, I guess, that it's left you with some sort of belief about yourself. And that belief is not true. But if your logical brain knew that, and you could just tell yourself that, right, yeah. A common one in birth is that, like, I failed. Like, I hear that so many times. And it yeah. doesn't matter how many times you sit with women and say, logic says you didn't fail, you did everything you could possibly do, like you did the best that you could, but they still have this sense of failure. Mm. You would maybe work on that belief and bolster it with a bunch of other times in life that have not been consistent with that. And then it's like a bit of a dance here and there in the neural network and you replace the negative with the positive. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm very fascinated how this works. So it's just almost like rewiring of your brain. Yeah. It's it's pretty much very fundamentally that's what you're doing. You're going, here's a neural network. There's a bunch of stuff in the system that has been wired not right. <laughs> it's not yeah. really the right language to put it that way, but when there's a lot of emotion and when things happen too fast too soon, they don't get stored correctly. The memories don't get stored as regular memories do, right? Yeah. Here's a biscuit. Here's my birthday party. Here's that time I got on stage. Here's another time I walked down the street. You know, maybe positive emotion or maybe neutral. Um, traumatic memories are stored completely differently. We don't 100% know why, but this process helps to kind of get in, sift them out and reduce the distress around them. Every time I talk to a psychologist about things like this, it always brings me back to that movie Inside Out mm, yeah. where 
we have these memories which are represented by let's say marbles if people have seen seen the movie and my favorite my favorite quote throughout life is like if something quite significant happens I just go poor memory (laughs) you know and so that again I'm such a visual person okay so it's almost like the core memory of that trauma has been thrown into the wrong bucket. It's on that wrong island and it is just like a beacon and we need to get it mm-hmm. and put it into a proper bucket. And so with yeah. that though, like, again, I'm a massive fan of acceptance and commitment therapy, which is, you know, not kind of shoveling it under the carpet and actually sitting with it. How mm. does that how does that sit with EMDR? Is it similar to that in the sense that like you're sitting with it, you're processing it? Mm. It does is that make similar, sense? right? So it's the whole dodo hypothesis thing, right? There's a bunch of different therapies. They've all got a bunch of different acronyms. If you are with someone that you trust, right, you can actually sit and tolerate the emotions and you can do work. It doesn't matter so much what you choose. That's probably a very controversial thing to say, but trauma has... As I said, really high dropout rate. Sometimes it takes a few things to figure out what's going to be right for you. Mm. But, yeah, essentially it is that, I mean, the analogy that's visual that also might help is like the filing cabinet, right? So you've got all these files, you stuff them in, you don't want to look at them. We know that there's this thing called ironic process theory, which is a fancy way of saying don't think about the pink elephant. Whatever you do, don't think about the pink elephant. I don't want to think about the pink elephant because it makes me feel sad, it makes me feel this, but the stuff it down. And then pink elephant comes out at all sorts of times when you really don't want to be thinking about pink elephants and it's almost like intrusive, right? That's mm. the whole thing. So mm. these will do the opposite and go, no, let's let's sift out the pink elephants and look at them, but yeah. look at them from the perspective of like, you know, what was what happened a little bit? How did it make you feel? What are you noticing in your body? There's a lot of somatic stuff, you know, this neck up, neck down stuff is getting much, much, much more important. What did your body register? The birth, I think that's super, super, super important. Mm. Not just kind of talking about stuff, but go like, what did your body do? Did it freeze? Did it want to flee? Did it go into fight mode? And that was all suppressed. Like, so yeah, sifting through it and going, all right, let's find somewhere else to store this. And it's really just sifting through. So that could be helpful. Take your colored balls, we'll sift through them, put them into little compartments that kind of make sense for you. going to get to all of them but the thing that's handy with emdr is once you kind of start that desensitizing you'll find one memory from one thing affects another one because they're all looped together in a little network of tight i don't know what should we call them threads maybe yeah (laughs) we're threading them to make like the necklace of life (laughs) Mm, yeah 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 okay i've got two questions from that so first of all you said at the beginning that it's not actually the eye movement. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So do we actually know how it works? Because you've said that, you know, we could listen to particular audio. So (laughs) do we, do we actually know how it works? It's still a bit of smoke and mirrors. Okay. There is still a bit of a smoke and mirror component to it, which I think is possibly why in Australia it's taken a little bit long for people to be like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this, because there is an element to it that can seem a bit left of centre, I suppose. It's quite different. But as I said, if you keep in mind how working memory works, so working memory is the memory of about five to seven things so like a phone number so it's like I don't know if that's helpful this happens to me but when you've received a voice message from someone they haven't given you their phone number like that you can see and so they're saying bring me back on and you're just about to get it and then a child's like mom I need a biscuit and that's gone yeah yeah so if you distract me while I'm trying to hold on to a piece of information in my working memory it will, I'll maybe remember two of those numbers. I might not remember it at all. I have a sense that it's still there, it hasn't gone, but I can't tell you what the number is. Yeah. So that's a very like watered down version of trying to explain kind of how this works. If you tax mm. people's working memory, so you bring a memory into mind, you can sit with it and you distract them. It's not really distracting. It's more like giving them a cognitive task to do. You won't be able to hold on to the information. It will just slowly start 
slipping away. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so the idea is with that cognitive activity, is that to fill it with positive memories or is that to do with the audio and the visual of the hand moving? It's kind of an all-encompassing. So you start with the desensitising and if you can stick with that and you can tolerate it, generally what you find is people come up with these insights, right, that they've never sort of had before or never really properly sat with. So for birth it might start with like I'm anxious I'm scared, I felt this, I felt that. But then with a few more rounds, because you just sit there and kind of go through the rounds of taxing working memory, they're like, oh, actually, I was really strong. Oh, actually, I managed that pretty well. Oh, actually, like, yeah, so you sort of start to sift through what else is in there for the meaning making. It's like it's one of those things that, like, the more I try and talk about it and simplify it, the more complex <laughs> it is. So I'm not a fan of making things that are actually quite complex too simplistic. Simple. It's not as yeah. simple as waving your eyes back and forth and, hey, your drama will be gone. It yeah. is pretty complex, but it's also where I suppose having in mind that, yeah, we don't 100% know how it works. We think we know how it works mm. and there's evidence to support that. But it is one of those, like, it's just so far removed in some ways from the other types of therapy that we do that it's still a bit like, hmm, 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 intrigue. Okay. And the fact that, like, we really don't fully understand how the brain works still in 2023 baffles me but then doesn't. Like, it's no surprise, to be honest with you. Okay. And my other question is a little bit divergent and it's probably... Because I also like to like throw in my own kind of self-therapy in these things. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, why not? Well, I've got you on the line. You mentioned that this whole like neck up, neck down thing in terms of what happens with your body. Mm. This is something that I am exploring at the moment because I recently went to a workshop run by Bernadette Lack and Lael Stone called Centering the Mother. Mm-hmm. And in that session, I will workshop, it was like a whole day workshop, we did a lot of body work and it's something that I haven't ever really done a lot of. Mm-hmm. I'm notoriously great <laughs> at not tuning in with my body probably because I am (laughs) terrified at what I will discover. But having said that, though, I've done a lot of neck up therapy, talking and things like that and processing. And one of the things that was highlighted was that I probably should start to invest in a little bit more body work because whilst my brain has made leaps and bounds, my body is still back, you know, probably a decade. Mm. I wonder what your opinion is on that. Is that something, because, you know, someone has mentioned to me, you know, we we store a lot of emotion in our hips, in our pelvis, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And, like, have you you seen that in other women and mothers that you work with? How does that sit, I guess, in terms of, like, in the clinical psychology field? Mm. it's hard for me to do that as pure clinical psychologist like, yeah. on because okay. all my training was neck up right yeah it's yeah. traditional you sit in a chair you talk you do all that but it's just it's just not enough and so if we look at other cultures and what they've been doing for a lot longer than we have there needs to be a bit more of a marrying together I think also with psychology there's this tradition of like you don't touch people Right? right, don't go anywhere near people's bodies. Right? Yeah. So yes. for me, for a long time, it's like, oh, it took a fair while for me to even get my head around the like body work. I would just kind of go, oh, like no, that's a that's that's a strong no. But I'm sort of yeah, having done more research, of course, the pelvis thing and the hip thing is interesting because we do know that the jaw. So if you hold tension in your jaw, it will correlate to your pelvis, right? So that's nicely from my hypnobirthing training and my perinatal training, not so much my clinical training, but we know that. So jaw connects to pelvis. If you clench your jaw, it makes sense. If you clench your jaw during birth, especially. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just clench my jaw all the time, Erin. Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm ruined. (laughs) Connections potentially, yeah, to make there. We also know 
you know, those beta endorphins are potentially way more powerful than any synthetic drugs we could be using. So there's a lot to think about with what your jaw is doing, what your breath is doing, and oxygenating the muscles, right? If your muscles aren't getting oxygen, they're not going to work properly. They're going to store tension. They're going to hurt. Mm. There's so much I could go into with that. But all of that work with Peter Levine and Pat Ogden, there are heaps of people out there who are talking more about, like, well, what's it doing in the body, right? There's so much more to uncover there. That's like a whole that's a whole other conversation. I'm going to write that down. So Peter Levine. He's the he's the go-to guy. I know Bessel van der Kolk is everybody's favourite at the moment, and that's okay. He's very popular with his body keeps the score. That has been around for a long, long time, right? But so is Peter Levine. He has some really good, uh, even just things you can watch on YouTube. That's like how do you start sort of getting yourself in your body kind of stuff. Yeah, often is another really great person. There's others that I'm going to forget them. I'm not even like at the Oscars doing my thank you speech, but just off the top of my head, right? These are some really useful go-to people. Okay, I'm going to investigate because this is something I think, as as you kind of mentioned, you know, it's hard when you've got your clinical psychologist hat on. I I've just been in science mode for so long in my life that yeah that exploration of body work to me is like what that's really foreign Mm. I don't know what that means is there any scientific evidence to support that you know that type of thing that's exactly where my brain goes but also I think you're absolutely right it needs to be more of a holistic approach when it comes to looking after ourselves and you know supporting mothers okay I'm gonna look into that all right okay back on track Renee (laughs) I swear, we'll come back. It's a good segue. It was a good segue. I always segue. I I totally always segue. I must drive the listeners mad or this is the reason why they're sticking around. Okay, so my question is with EMDR, are there any instances where you kind of recommend that people shouldn't use it? Are there any scenarios or or anything like that where you go, "Mm, I don't think this one's for you? There's a few. There's a few. So from a practical point of view, I always like to start with the practical. And anyone who came to see me or anyone else like this should be having this discussion. It's intense. Like, yes, this therapy might be shorter, but it's going to be intense. You need to be able to sit with negative emotions for short periods of time, but you need to be able to sit with them. So if you're someone who naturally checks out, avoids, goes to a happy place and doesn't want to go there, you could potentially do a whole round of this therapy and get absolutely no results from it because you just didn't. It's not that you were not participating. It's just like you, you just don't know how to, right? Yeah. <laughs> when someone yeah. says, sit with an emotion and let's <laughs> process it, you're like, don't actually know what you're talking about, which should come up in kind of like conversations and doing assessment and all of that anyway, but I'll put it out there as a, it is a thing because I've heard people say, oh, I did that and it didn't work. I'm like, oh, okay, why didn't it work? Aha, uh-huh. you just weren't even there. Like, you yeah. just checked out. So from a practical point of view, you don't want to be doing this in your lunch break. You need to be in a place where you're kind of getting, you know, the basics, reasonable sleep, reasonable nutrition. There's no major ongoing life stresses, which is kind of unknown, nearly impossible. But it it, it needs to be something like, like, yes, I can fit this into my life because you're going to feel tired afterwards, you know. Mm. Typically, you do this therapy, you need to go for a long walk. You need to drink a lot of water. You're going to yawn. That whole thing you were saying before about like, there's no way I can cook dinner. I can't get off the couch. Very normal. It's very exhausting. So there's that. In addition to that, something that's not talked enough about with trauma is dissociation. Not everybody screens for dissociation. You don't necessarily know that that's part of your trauma makeup until someone goes in and looks for it. So that can mean anything from like, you know, uh, like as I said, going in, oh, there's an emotion, check out, go somewhere else. Okay. So people, you know, go a bit I'm numb. physically there, but I'm not mentally here. No, okay, no, yeah. okay. So that's, you know, and there are other, I suppose, parts of someone's mental health profile for how they're going as to whether that's going to be a good idea for them or not. So it's one of those like, you know, check with your doctor kind of thing. But there are yeah. there's different screening that needs to be done, you know, to keep people feeling comfortable and safe. Therapy should challenge you, but it shouldn't be outside your window of tolerance. And that's really important for any trauma work that you're challenged. I'm not always going to be a favorite person. I said to my clients, I'm going to see me, I don't want to be here. 
but it's it's a good challenge. It's helpful. It's not. I felt more distressed. I felt worse. I felt not understood. So that therapeutic alliance relationship, whatever you want to call it, has got to be solid. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. solid. I think I struck gold with my psychologist because I found her and then I was like, this is it. I know yeah, 100%. But I, I have had other family and friends who have had to jump on the therapist carousel and try a few different yeah. people out and it just does make a difference because, as you said earlier, like it's so intense and you are going to be at just the most vulnerable state that you're in and you have to trust that person you absolutely because you're like okay you're giving me permission to literally like I just feel like it's almost like you're splitting yourself and just Mm. tearing yourself open and going this is everything that I have inside of me Mm. and to me it's like it's going to be a volcano of eruption before anything gets better because we've got to take it all out we've got to get all the marbles out people and we've got to rearrange them and put them all in the colored boxes and go why does that colored one not fit in that one hold on a minute that one needs to be over here and as you were saying like the the amount of aha moments that you have where I mean I still do this so I had a big event occur at the start of this year and I spiraled mentally and I was like whoa hold on a minute we need to like check back in and I'm like really transparent with friends family everyone on this podcast I I say to people my psychologist is like a physio a GP an auto mechanic if you see the wheels starting to fall off or the brake pads wearing you check back in and get like a wheel alignment or your brake pads fixed. It's exactly how I feel like with my psychologist. And I had to check back in and go far out. This is really triggering me. I don't know what's going on. And because we'd done the work for a whole decade (laughs) on and off, but because we did the work, I think I was, I only saw her for like two or three sessions, but she said to me in one sentence, she was like, you know why this is triggering you, right? And I was like, I have no idea. And she just said, blah. And I was like, (laughs) oh, there's that marble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) There's that core memory um, that I had stashed away and kind of had, processed and forgotten about and I was like oh I didn't really make that um connection but I see I so see that now it's so hard to see it like I think um for a lot of us as mums as well it's when you're with your children and for some reason your children are triggering you and you tell yourself it's oh I'm tired and it was a long day and it was this and that it's like no it's actually all your stuff that you don't want anyone else to see being reflected at you in the mirror and it's only until later that you're like oh that was because of this right Uh uh-huh yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. to do with here and now. That's little me having a tantrum <laughs> from the past, oh, potentially. So true. I do. I, I think, but I think as mothers as well, like it's so hard. I typically say to my daughter, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I haven't eaten enough during the day or something's really busy. So you say, I, I do, I say that to my daughter because. I mean, she's six, you know, she can't process that, you know, mummy's <laughs> mummy's had like, yes. you know, a, a dozen years of therapy, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. I'm just like, we're not at that stage of the relationship yet. So, yeah, um, yeah we're just going to go with the tired concept. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, all, it all adds up anyway. It's always the, like the acronym I like is HALT. So it's hangry or it's hungry, but for me it's hangry. Yeah. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? If you're practising checking in with one of those, that's usually helpful. I like that. I think I'm going to like... I'm, I'm going to borrow that one, Erin. You can. I didn't invent it. It actually comes from, uh, it might even be like from 12 Step or something like that. I can't remember. But oh, like, yeah. I, it's always good to have an, an acronym when you're like in the zone of like, oh, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Might also add another team, so am I triggered? Maybe that's. <laughs> yes. Yes, totally. Okay. So I want to ask, so we covered kind of like what, 
EMDR is and then kind of how to implement it. A few other things. One, can you do it by yourself at home? Have we got to the point where there's like an app or Mm. like something like that? I'm just thinking for listeners at home who are like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to try this. Mm. Or is it a case of, no, actually, you really need to see a psychologist for this and they need to implement a proper plan and, you know, certain things have to happen beforehand. Mm. I would say there's two answers to that. One is yes and no. So anyone can sit and do something like a butterfly hug. You can also do something like EFT or tapping as it's called. That has links with traditional Chinese medicine. We know that there are meridian points in your body that reduce pain, help with anxiety, something like that. That's not EMDR, but it's kind of EMDR-like. What is it? I've heard about this. What is this tapping concept? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. It's, again, been around for a really long time. It was kind of put in the, like, to woo-woo category for a while. <laughs> but like with everything, Chinese medicine usually comes to the party in terms of, like, there's the research yeah. evidence. So with birth, we know there's certain points. Um, for me, it was, like, two bits in my back in my sacrum, which really, really, really reduced my pain during the birth. It all just kind of correlates. So it's called, some people call it the emotional freedom technique. You can look it up on YouTube. There's like literally, I don't even know what the number is, but there'd be heaps and heaps and heaps of videos. So it's tapping different acupressure points in your body to relieve different bits and pieces, right? So there's Mm. that. Not EMDR, but kind of EMDR-like, as I said. Mm. The thing that you don't want to go on with a me search, I suppose, of like steering your own shit is... I liken it to kind of maybe free birth, right? So, okay, for some people, maybe, if all things go well and it's like a good experience and things are safe within the waters, frequently they're not. And you can't see the sharks, you can't see the things. If you are someone who potentially is going to bring up your own memory and then don't know how to get yourself through it, potentially, Mm. your therapist is going to be the person steering the ship to kind Uh of... You know, if the distress gets outside the window of tolerance, you're generally going to need help to do that, right, rather than try and get yourself out of that yourself because that's potentially entering a whole new shame cycle of Mm. like, oh, I tried to do this for myself. Um, It sounds like something potentially exactly people like you and me would do. (laughs) I'm going to go and learn to do this for myself. (laughs) But steering your own ship's not always a good thing because you can't see where you're going, right? And it's very fast. They liken it to um, like being on a train and it's going really, really fast or you're in a tunnel. That's another one we use a lot. You're driving in a tunnel, it's dark, or all of a sudden you get scared. The temptation is going to be to turn the brakes on and stop, but you don't want to stop in a dark tunnel. You want someone to be able to guide you through it. So that would kind of be my explanation as to like you don't want to try and do this yourself necessarily. Other people might say you can, but you wouldn't be doing deep work. You'd be doing a bit of soothing, maybe, but not not the deep, deep stuff. Because mm. you okay, don't know no. what you don't know, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a much better idea to work with a professional. Everyone, yeah, um, have someone to just walk you through it. Yeah, and so we've already touched on, I guess, ACT. But are there any? other forms of therapy that can kind of complement this or in conjunction or like parallel did, did some sort of other therapies work really well or not so well with this mm. at all it's hard because with birth there's not a lot a lot a lot of evidence we're mostly yeah. going off the history of other traumas which are not that sort of similar to birth trauma but not birth is a whole category in itself and I think for people particularly when you've got like a newborn at home or you've got a young kid and you're like you're trying to work on yourself and just manage that like that's a lot right Mm. it really needs to be said that you want to be in a spot where you're like okay I can kind of manage this and not be doing all the other things postpartum that I'm doing because hormonally that's going to be (laughs) a whole thing in itself even if you don't have trauma even if you don't have anxiety or depression like it's yeah, it's a whole thing. So I think lots of integration time, and that's sometimes hard to get when you've got small children. It's like you, you need that time to be standing in the shower, right, going for a walk, doing some gardening, doing something with your hands to, like, integrate, like let the dust settle. Not be thinking about the trauma and working on yourself all the time. It's in those moments of 
integration that the insights come usually and that takes time. That's really interesting because I always say that I have my best ideas in the shower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that because I'm like I'm literally like slowing my brain down, I've got yeah. nothing else to do. Yeah, and but usually, I'm using my hands. What's the hand thing, Erin? It's interesting. So I think there's this might be helpful, right? Let's go back to like sciencey, sciencey stuff. Yeah, if okay, you, you feel put, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. So there's two examples that help with this. I did these, I've got this from Peter Levine, right? So one is if you put a dog in a bath, right, dogs typically don't like that. They like to have their smells on them. They get all stressed. So what do they do? They freeze. Sometimes they fight you, right? Generally, they're going to just fawn, right? They will go along with it. La-di-da, I'm having my bath. I don't really like it, but I'll do this, right? Mm-hmm. Very similar to birth. Once they get out, what do they do? Zip around, yeah. shake it off, right? Yeah. That Taylor Swift song is so true. They yeah. shake, they move, they work the trauma through their body. That's what animals in the wild do. Same with, like, the impala, right? If it's being hunted, it will pretend to be dead until the predator leaves. The second the predator's gone, the impala will get up, move around, shake, zip around, and shake it off. They don't sit down and have a chat, <laughs> talk about how they feel. They move. They move stuff through the nervous system. So we are mammals. We're wired very similarly. There is something in the, again, we don't have all the, like, insights yet, but there really is something in uh, getting movement, movement through your body. Oh, wow. And that is why I think children, like, play is so important for them because they just have to get it out. Oh, Okay. Before we jump into the rapid fire, I've got one more question. So you've said that that it can be faster than, I guess, you know, quote, unquote, talk therapy. <laughs> how long does it take to work? You know, how long is this piece of string, obviously? How long is a piece of string? Yeah, yeah. but are we, are we kind of, like, if we had to compare it to talk therapy, are we, are we estimating that, you know, it might be half the amount of time or, you yeah. know? So... Rough estimate, this is, again, like you've got to take this with a grain of salt. Yeah. So if it was what they call a single incident trauma, so you have one traumatic event that does not link to anything else in your life that is at all traumatic, it's just this one thing, just this one thing, few sessions, right? In, in an ideal world, you could probably process a single incident trauma in three or four sessions. Now, okay. I would not think about birth as a single incident trauma. It might be for some people, but it wouldn't be for many. For a lot of us, that is going to be related to other things, mm. right? Walking around in a female body in the world, that is going to relate to other things, and that's all I'll say about that. So usually not a single incident trauma. Usually you start with mapping a couple of memories, and then you're like, oh, and then here's this, oh, and here's that. And that, and often for people not realising, I didn't know that being bullied at high school was a trauma. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that being uh, misgendered for most of my life at the doctor's office was a trauma. I didn't know that, like, people always ask what well, counts and that lots of things count. Lots of things count depending on how it's perceived by you. Um, so, yeah, it's, you could do it in 10 sessions potentially, which is why I suppose there's that thing. I'm like, well, okay, Medicare, 10 sessions, you could probably do this in 10 Give or take, just depends. It's the answer yeah. everybody hates, but it's true. Just depends. Depends what else pops up. Yeah, it's, yeah, and that's that's similar to what you're saying before. It's the tunnel. It's the sharks. You don't know what's out there because you haven't got to it yet. We don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. I just thought of something. So, if people are interested in something like this, are there? I'm assuming that the psychologist has to have a specialisation in it. Is there, I guess, a register or a database or, or something like that where people can look up people yeah, who are skilled in this? Things. Yeah. yeah, so most people are getting trained up in it because the research evidence is there to suggest that we should be doing it. But it's just like it's a conversation like anything else when you're hiring someone. It's like what's your philosophy? What do you value? What are you, like, what, what, what's the goal here? But also I think for people in that perinatal phase, it's going to see someone who also understands the perinatal phase, right? So something that happens a lot is you get someone who knows stuff about trauma, but they don't really understand like this newborn phase and what it's like and all the Mm. sort of shifts in identity and all of that. I suppose briefly that's helpful as well to know that sometimes people get misdiagnosed as having postnatal depression 
because that's what people are kind of like, oh, you're postnatal, you're not feeling so good, it's probably depression, instead of asking what was the birth like. Are you finding yourself in this perpetual loop of distress about Mm. that? That's not depression, that's trauma. It might also be depression and anxiety and a bunch of other stuff, but it's very nuanced work, right? So you don't want to sort of be saying to someone, I've heard these stories as well, you know, someone who's just a few months postpartum, like, well, you've got to, you know, get your sleep and, you know, you've got to do this. It's like, well, you don't understand, like, what the body, what the brain goes through after having a baby. Like, Mm. so... You might get someone who's very good at trauma but doesn't understand that or you get someone who works in that space but hasn't done a lot of trauma training. So it's dovetailing to find someone. But ultimately, like, the what they're offering probably isn't as as important as how they make you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We are going to wrap up with our rapid fire, which is a bunch of questions that I ask all of our guests. Are you ready? Sure. No, no. I need I need some trauma therapy. Yes. Okay. What would be your top tip for mothers? Mm, Learn to breathe. You start with breath, you end with breath. It's the easiest, quickest, cheapest thing to teach your children. Learn to breathe properly. Oh, okay. This might lead into the next question. (laughs) What what is your go-to resource, whether it be a book, a workshop? for birthing mothers it can be about breathing I'm going to ask you about a resource anyway about breathing now okay so I mean that's like asking me to choose your favorite child (laughs) I know it's like it's so hard I'm very like multi-sensory so I'm always aware that like some people are visual some people are yeah okay so breathing and I guess if I had to choose a book, I would choose Postnatal Depletion Cure. That tends to be the one I give everybody. Um, am I allowed any more resources? Yes, that? you just are. With that, just with that would be good. I think, um, oh, now there's all these, like, do you know what it feels like now? It feels like there's a million toddlers all lined up going, <laughs> pick me, pick me. You didn't mention me. I'm special too. Let's just go with Braving in a Book, right? Yeah, Okay. It may that. come to me later, but the moment's like, oh, too many things. <laughs> I know people always start sweating when I'm like, let's do a rapid fire. They're like, no, I really don't want to, Renee. Because, okay, you know, then. rapid and fire and yeah. not, like, <laughs> soothing words. Because I call it something else. Um, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> the last one is, the last one should be okay. And I borrowed this off Brene Brown. What do you keep on your bedside table? Ooh, dust at the moment, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> that is the best response I've ever got. And so what? candid. I love it. Dust. It's dust. The is there anything amongst amongst the dust? Yeah, I mean, we're renovating, so the dust is not purely laziness. <laughs> it's just a constant state of dust. I keep anything. I mean, a pile of books, there's always a pile of books and I am one of those annoying people who starts a book and I'm like, oh, this is the best book, you should read it. And then I start two chapters in and I'm like, oh, but now that's led to another book that I have to read. So I just pile up books and start reading them and then eventually finish them. Yeah. And you read more than like one book at a time? Oh, I have to. I have to. Okay. I have to. I Probably the, I don't know what that is in me, but it's just, it's not the enough mood, time the in this lifetime. Yeah, I don't know. Not enough time in this lifetime to get to all the books I want to get to. So I feel like I've at least picked them up and sniffed them and given them a little bit of attention. <laughs> so you're a book over a Kindle person? Because I definitely No, am. I do all. I'm When you say oh. you're visual, the more and more I talk to people, the more I think I'm multimodal. So I... Read physical books because I have to smell them and I like the pages yes. and I like the tech. I'm a total book nerd. But I also like listening. If it's an author I really like, I like listening to their voice. Yeah. Um, and I do Kindle. I do all of them. Oh, I can't do a Kindle. I mm. have tried so many times. There's something just delightful of having a book in my hand. And I, I've started... Um, the audio books, but only with like really easy reads, like mm. for example, Harry Potter, mm. <laughs> with Stephen Fry narrating it, yeah, and I will have be good. Yeah, I've, I'll have that on when I'm doing 
you know, BS tasks like folding, washing, making dinner or something where I'm like, I just need to chill out for a second. I'm going to put some Stephen Fry on, listen Mm -hmm. to Harry Potter, and that will like zone me out um, for a while. Yeah, it's funny though. Like when you mentioned Brene Brown, like I I need to hear her voice because it's just like there's no, like I hear her voice in my head anyway. So I think it's the joy of like, I just like, yeah, I like the listening. Kindle thing is, I don't know, I'm an author. So I think for me, it's the laziness factor. If I find something, I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that. I can just highlight it and then chuck it in the document instead of having to cross-reference it. Mm, Might be that. Oh, I love that. Okay, then. Thank you so much for explaining that. This has been so fascinating. I'm always like looking for more tools in the toolkit, particularly when we're working with mothers as well, because as you say, it's not a one size fits all. If people don't want to talk about it, and I think this this has become abundantly apparent right here, right now for those people listening. It's the start of August and there is a huge call out for more submissions into the New South Wales birth trauma inquiry and it's now been extended out to Mm. all across Australia. But I think what we're finding is that we know that there's one in three women, the statistics Mm. tell us, that have, you know, encountered birth trauma. But so many of us can't put pen to paper. We Mm. can't actually sit down, write it, or even I've seen some beautiful offerings of people who are like, just send me a voice message and I will like dictate it and write it down and submit it for you. That in and of itself is still too difficult for some people. So yeah, it's so good you raised that actually, because it's something I was just thinking about this morning about that not getting enough responding. It's like because you're asking people to engage with their trauma without giving them any skills yes. and support for how to do that. The act of sitting down and writing something can be therapeutic, but it can also be another trauma for people if they don't know what they're going to do with what comes up. Exactly. So, yeah, for me that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It's so, so difficult for people to do and I think, you know, as doulas we're stepping into homes at the coal face straight after these events occur. And it's something that, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we are doing lots of in-house training with all of our doulas to alert ourselves to those red flags and, mm. and start those conversations early if we can. Mm. And if we can't do that, then, you know, providing our mums with other resources like yeah. this EMDR, okay, like touch base with them in six weeks and go, hey, this is something that might be useful for you. Um, as you say, you can get it on the mental health. Is it a mental health plan? Is that right? Yeah. 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 So you go to your GP and ask for a mental health care plan. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So Erin, if people would like to find you, where are you at? And <laughs> I have to preface in saying you're not on social media, are you? I'm not anymore. Two and a half years cold turkey, thank you. I'm not. So How it's... does that feel? Liberating? <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, I mean, every now and then there's a like, have I just made the biggest career mistake in my life? Because, right. you know, I quit just probably at the point where things were really starting to pack off. But from a boundaries and everything point of view, I'm like, oh, I just cannot be bombarded with this stuff every single day of my life yeah so that's I won't give you my whole TED talk on that but uh <laughs> no <laughs> it is just me on a website plain and simple which is just drerin.com.au you must have had a little chuckle to yourself when threads started because I my brain nearly exploded I was like not another platform that I'm supposed to master are you joking me I think every <laughs> other Every other woman in business was just like, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't work for Zuckerberg. I don't. I, you know, I say this like very tongue in cheek and very lovingly, which is like, you know, that was in my second book about social media detox. I'm married to a Silicon Valley hoodie wearing type white person, right? He has people like that in his family. But I don't work for them and I don't want to work for them. So for all the love to like brokenness in hoodies who are controlling everything that we do, I don't want to work for them. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Uh, All power to you. God, I wish I had 
Yeah, I wish I was that brave, but <laughs> not today, I'm not. Not today, not today. <laughs> Thank you so much. And until next time, we will see you next week. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.